Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. people that I think are so wonderful, and we've had their daughters, Carrie and Lauren, on our show, and I've met the two people that I'm going to introduce right now, and our topic today is through the eyes of the parents, the murder of our son on September 11, 2001, and our guests are Patricia and Bud Kiefer. Patricia and Bud are bereaved parents whose only son, firefighter Michael Vernon Kiefer, was murdered at the age of 25 in the September 11th World Trade Center attacks. Michael is a hero to the nation. However, to his family and friends, he was also a devoted, loving, and extraordinary individual. He gave his very best, fulfilled his calling, and died doing what he loved. Patricia and Bud share their story in honor and memory of their precious son, Michael, and all those who were murdered on September 11th. Welcome to the show, Mike's mom and dad, Pat and Bud. Hi. Hi, Hi, Pat and Bud. It's so great to have you on the show, and it was wonderful to have your daughters on the show, too, Lauren and Carrie, and... uh, People would like to hear that. They can go to our website, um, and it's a July 29th show. I mean, excuse me, June 29th June show, 29th. and it's archived there. It's a wonderful show, and we want you to remember that all the shows are archived on our website, healingthegrievingheart.org, and on the Compassionate Friends website. They can be downloaded uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and you can also download them on your iPods. Well, Pat and Bud, uh, how great to have. What a, a great daughters you have. And uh, I know you. you guys called in. You're a wonderful family. I I was just looking through this fantastic book um, that your family did for Michael. And I <laughs> love the picture on the front. He's sitting on his lifeguard chair with a whistle in his mouth pointing and with such a grin on his face. What a, a beautiful uh, man Michael is and was. I can uh, tell you that when that picture was taken, uh, we were at the beach, and he had just become a New York firefighter, which he wanted to do his whole life. Since he was three years old, he wanted that. And uh, he was also a lifeguard at Long Beach in New York. And we were down at the beach that day when that picture was taken, and he said to us, who has it better than, than me? He huh. said, I'm an FDNY firefighter, a Long Beach lifeguard, he says. And I love the world. Uh, That's he, amazing. Yeah. Most and people go through their whole life and can never say that. He he really accomplished. He was 25 when he was murdered, mm-hmm. but he really, you know, when I think back, he accomplished every goal in his life that he wanted. Um, his most important thing. He was very religious. Uh, his religion was important, very important to him, and his family came first. Everything else, nothing materialistic meant anything to him. It was all about, you know, the natural things, nature, and just doing the right thing. That was his favorite saying. He always told his sisters, whatever you do in life, do the right thing, and family comes first. So his priorities were really in place. Yeah, it's almost like some people say you don't go until you get life right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel sometime in my heart that although he was only 25, that he got it right. Yeah. He, he did things right, and maybe that's why God took him. So now tell us uh, on September 11th where you were, and he was actually an FDNY firefighter. He was in Manhattan? Yes. 
I think my oh, husband he was in was, Brooklyn. Oh, he was in Brooklyn. Right. Okay. He was in FDNY. In yeah. Brooklyn Firehouse. Oh, that's right. FDNY. Of course, Brooklyn's part of New York City, right? Right. <laughs> For we people who are out in California. <laughs> yeah, so he was in Brooklyn, and, and uh, what happened? Maybe Dad would like to tune in on this and right. tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, I was at work. I worked uh, downtown. I was um, like blocks away from City Hall. And for people that don't know New York, uh, it was uh, ten blocks away from the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. That oh. morning I was in work, and it was a beautiful day, uh, as the days are out here now. And, and that brings back memories, too, just the blue sky, the smell mm-hmm. in the air, the sunshine, everything. I'm sitting at my desk, and um, I heard this loud noise. Uh, they were doing construction across the street at the courthouses, and I looked out the window, and I, I thought that maybe they dropped something or whatever, and there was nothing. And then there was commotion on the other side of my building, and, and people came running over, and they say, you have to see the Trade Center. So we went to the south end of our building. I looked out the window, and the whole Trade Center was just uh, a wall of flames. Mm. And without getting too graphic, the, the terrible things that I saw that day right me. yes with people jumping and yeah i think we've we've all brought yeah. up those pictures yeah seen them yeah and um as we're watching this and it's not registering in in your mind you know that this is actually happening mm-hmm. i saw the second plane come around and hit the south tower uh-huh. everybody started screaming you know uh, so you but, actually saw that yeah oh, yeah what so, a shock uh, you know, they just we we have to leave the building because uh, I I worked in in uh, a federal building which is a, a target every day mm-hmm. was a bomb threat, so we all uh, went outside and um, again there was just mass commotions. I I still hear the the uh, the sirens, the the screaming, um, you know everything that was going on. So in order to get out of the city, um, we walked across the Brooklyn Bridge oh, over to Brooklyn. Yeah. Meanwhile, some of those memories you try not to, to dwell upon, but it still haunts you. you know, Isn't it kind of difficult, too, with uh, them being shown on TV constantly? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, as I say, um, you know, we we had to leave the city. Um, I, didn't, and I didn't think it was a good idea to get on a subway train, so that's why we elected to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. And as we're doing so, I could see all the rescue vehicles coming from Brooklyn over to Lower Manhattan. A lot of fire trucks, ambulances, and whatever. And uh, I kept saying, gee, I hope Michael is okay. I hope Michael is okay. Now, he was a probie, and being a probie, he's not allowed to talk too much about his job for the first year. So I didn't know where exactly in Brooklyn he was. Wow, I, uh, I later that. found out that he was like five minutes away from, from the Trade Center. Oh, my. As we're walking across the bridge, and I'm thinking of this, I don't know what made me turn around, but as I turned around at that immediate moment, the South Tower came down. Wow. And the feeling that I had, it was like my stomach was coming through my body, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I later found out or we heard from varying accounts that uh, that's where he was. He was oh, in wow. the South Tower, you know. So you had kind of a feeling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, so... So that, you went home in confusion, the girls said, and uh, nobody when they were on the show? Yeah, nobody knew anything. Calls were made to the firehouse. They all they said was that he's at a command post. Uh, that's all that they knew, and it went on for hours and hours and hours until we, um, you know, uh, got the word uh, that um, there was no hope. Mm-hmm. We never we never got a recovery 
up until now, we've never recovered anything of our son. No. It was almost like he Which just makes went, it went to his job and just left the face of the earth. He just you know? disappeared. Yes. That's yeah. really tough. Yeah. So um, some of the things that he did leave behind, though, um, Bud and Pat, are these wonderful, wonderful letters he wrote. Um, they're part of a book that uh, you've, your family's done up for Mike, in Michael's memory. Is there some way people can get this? They can uh, just go ahead, Pat. Absolutely. If if they can get in touch with you, you you're more than welcome to you know get in touch with you. Okay. Yeah. If you're interested in in reading more about Michael, you uh, can get in touch with me about getting this wonderful book. But That's I have Pat. I asked Pat and Bud if I could read a bit from one of the letters Michael wrote. They're wonderful pictures. He wrote so many things. I I just don't know anybody who wrote so many things. Well, he wrote letters the, to everyone. He and, wrote loving letters to the entire family and all his friends, and people kept them. I mean, it's, it's just so great. amazing that there's so many things here. But the letter I want to read, just part of this letter, is from just to give you a flavor of how this uh, Michael felt about his family and about uh, what kind of a guy he was. Christmas of 1996, he wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, I am just writing this letter to tell you both how much you really mean to me. I went shopping to buy you guys a gift, but everything is so expensive, and I didn't have a clue what to get you. I figured I would sit down and write you a letter. Let me start out by saying how much I love you both. I really think you guys are my best friends. And then it goes on, and that he and he ends it, I love you both, your son Michael. What a fabulous, fabulous memories you have. And, and he wrote similar letters to both of his sisters. I mean, yeah. it's just—it's amazing, it's fabulous. Just incredible letters. Well, what have you done? It's been five years now, right? Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about this, and I want to talk um, maybe after the next break about some of the things you've done to remember Michael and some of the things that you recommend to others. But I also wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the fact that when we first wrote the show for, uh, for June 29th for Lauren and Carrie to be on, uh, the world lost a hero. We lost our brother. Um, I had put down that he died, and Pat, you let me know. You called into the show during break and said he was murdered. Right. Absolutely. And I would like you to talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, I uh, I cannot. If somebody asks me, I have to say that my son was murdered because that's what happened. You know, it wasn't like he just. Di- it was I an guess accident. To, right. To some people, there's not a difference. You know, he's gone, no matter how you look at it. But to me, in the violent way, and he had no warning of anything, he was, he was murdered. He was murdered. And like I say, we have no, we've recovered nothing of him. And it's just like as if he was walking down the street and somebody did something horrible to him. And, you know, the other things that you read in the newspaper of how these poor people are slaughtered, that's what, he, what happened to him and all the rest of those people. Mm-hmm. And I find it very important to me to use the word murder mm-hmm. when I, I say it. I don't know. It just makes me feel like I'm really telling the story. And is it difficult, Pat, to have and Bud, to have such a public loss, having a son die in 9-11 and having it kind of the world's tragedy? Has that been, has that been difficult or has that been supportive and helpful? I think it's a combination of both because... Uh, sometimes I feel, well, if people didn't talk about it, I feel like now it's going to be five years and so many people have really forgotten about it, whether you can believe it or not. Uh, and Oh, yeah, I don't maybe know. He, maybe that. not with the same intensity, but I don't think uh, people have forgotten that event. But, but can you log in for a minute? You were going to just say something, too. 
No, I was going to say that I, I feel that it's uh, difficult um, because of the fact that um, this is in your face every single day mm-hmm. um, through uh, TV, through the radio, through uh, newspapers, just people talking on the street. You know, um, there's, there's not a day goes by that uh, you're not reminded of this. Bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. And you don't know when it's going to come, so you don't have control over those those things that are those memories that are going to come in. You don't have control over when you're going to see something that reminds you of 9-11. Exactly. A newspaper or whatever. You could yeah. be in the grocery store, right? And all of a sudden it's on the front page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, there's um, things that have been said about 9-11 detrimental, about the families and, uh, you know, different things, and that hurts. Right. You know, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. What you have to get across is that people have to, don't believe everything you read. Yeah, I think so many people know that already. Yeah, that's one of the things after break we might want to talk about a little bit about the media. And I just want to log in one thing about um, uh, murder, too. Murder is uh, really um, complicates the whole issue of loss also. A lot of anger we find out uh, from our listeners and from people who we deal with connected with murder. So I think that it's important that you do frame it the way it is. I, th- I think that's mm-hmm. a, a positive way to do it. I mean, to really, as you say, Pat, to really put it out there. The, well, I want to talk about the media. How did you guys deal with the media and what would suggestions do you have? Because we have some people out there listening who have lost kids in some high-profile cases and maybe even going through court cases right now. Uh, well, I'll just start, and Bud, you can take over. But I find <laughs> that as far as the media goes, I've learned one thing. You know, no matter what you say to them, they're only going to pick and choose the lines that they want. And if they see you crying, you could talk for 20 minutes and be, you know, speaking. And as soon as you break down into tears, that's when the cameras start. You know, it's, it's all about they want to see the grief and they want to see more than even getting the real story. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing I'll say is about that So they I, should, what you're saying is be aware that that's what's going to happen. Right. Oh, be prepared. It's, it's going to happen. Now when they call, because the fifth anniversary is coming, now when they call and say, you know, they want to do a story, I just say no, because it's, it's enough. You know, if you want to put down what I have to say, fine. If not, you know, you're going to pick what you want to put. I don't go for that. But I also have to say that I feel, being that my son was murdered, I feel almost cheated uh, that I can't, like if it was by a single person and they were arrested and put on trial, I would love, as hard as it would be, I would love to be able to sit in a courtroom and, and see this person brought to justice, even though it would be very hard for me. But the way our situation happened, that, you know, that can't be, and... It, it bothers me that I can't find the people that, that did this and have them brought to justice. Mm-hmm. So hopefully if there are people out there that are listening and it was, you know, someone who was arrested for the case and all, I just feel maybe I'm wrong, you would tell me, that um, it would make me feel better to be sitting as hard as it would be in the courtroom but to see that person brought to justice. Yeah, you know, one of the problems, Pat, and, and people uh, tell us all the time, they they really aren't brought to what they feel is justice. Right. Very right. seldom. 
they get uh, watered down sentences, mm-hmm. they get let off. They, and death is you the know, easy way out for them. Or That's how I look at it, if they even got that, you know. Yeah, well, the one thing that people do seem to get some satisfaction out of is now they're letting people do victim impact statements. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're able to read that. But uh, our friends tell us who are involved in this that this, the person who, the perpetrator, seldom even listens to that, but they do get the satisfaction of doing that in court and hearing the judge. But other than that, uh, there doesn't seem to be, uh, the, people have told me there's not that great relief. Well, with my impact anything. statement, they probably would shoot themselves afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it would be that That, that would give me happiness. Strong. Maybe you should write an in, impact statement. We'll put it on our website okay. if you want to. I'd love to put it on the website. But And what's your thought about all this? Well, the media. Uh, what what comes to mind to me is uh, it was a statement that was made by the chief of the department from FDNY, and he was talking about the memorial at Ground Zero and, uh, you know, uh, things that have not been done to date. And uh, his line was, we've gotten a lot of empty promises from empty suits. And uh, that's what I feel like. In the beginning, you know, uh, everyone was your friend and everyone wanted to help and everyone wanted to do this and that. And you'll call me anytime. And, you know, uh, all of that has dried up. And the only reason now, if anybody does contact you again, is for their own gain, their own benefit, their own network, whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what would you tell dads out there who are involved with uh, some kind of high-profile case right now? What would you say to them about how to deal with the media or whatever at this time? Uh, first of all, I would go with your heart. If that's what you feel like doing and that's how you feel that you're going to get some comfort, then go ahead and do it. But... Um, be prepared as to what is actually going to be broadcast mm-hmm. because it's not, um, most of the time, it's not going to be exactly what you said. Things will be taken out of con- context for their own gain. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like you need to be very selective mm-hmm. on who you talk to. And I, I assume that they don't allow you to see these, these stories before they pub- they print them, do they? No. Okay, they don't allow that. I have to say, Heidi, I am so, I feel so honored that Pat and Bud uh, are on our show. Thank you. Thank you. I really and, do. And it's, and it's tough. I mean, the five-year anniversary is coming up, and I know that that evokes a lot of emotion and a lot of memories, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit right now. Hi. Um, well, um, all of the memories I have of Michael are wonderful. I mean, um, he was just the perfect son. Mm-hmm. He was. Mm-hmm. And um, what... I find comfort, my family find comfort in, in is uh, we do um, two memorials every year for him. Uh, when we decided what we were going to do, uh, he, was a, he was a health nut, so we have a, um, a walk-a-thon at Long Beach where people can come down and just, you know, honor his memory. Um, the other thing that we do is, uh, well, him and I used to, he was 25 years old, but he was into the oldies music, the 50s music. Mm-hmm. He used to go to all the concerts. Mm-hmm. So we have a 50s night, and uh, that's coming up this October 8th. Um, uh, his favorite group, uh, Johnny Maestro and the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, wow. are going to be there. And, wow, that's great. You know, so and, and they've been very supportive, you know, when they heard his story. and You know, so all of that helps. And all the uh, funds go to the New York Burn Center. Now tell us when that is again. October 8th. And anybody can come? Anybody. Yeah. Okay. And but, all the funds go to the New York Burn Center, which is great. Right. And all the funds from, I noticed on the back of the book, also the memory book, it says, all please send money, you know, funds to 
the New York Burns Center in his memory, in Michael's memory. Right, they have, have a fun. I have to tell you, uh, two days, since, the, since Michael's fun was initiated, uh, which was back in um, 2002, to date we've raised almost $150,000 in his name. Uh, wow. How great. That's all for the Burns. We have a caller, Lauren, who just called in on the show. Lauren, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Welcome to the show. I wonder if your last name's Kiefer. <laughs> this might be. <laughs> Is that Lauren and Carrie or just Lauren? No, it's just Lauren. Uh, welcome to the show. Do you have any comments for your mom and dad? Thank you. Well, I figured, you know, since mom and dad, well, mom got her two cents in on my show, <laughs> I would call in and give my two cents on theirs. Okay. Uh, okay. They called in to tell my sister and I how proud they were of us, and I'm calling in just to let them know how proud I am of them and how honored I am to have them as my parents. They have really, they may not think so, but been very strong throughout the past almost five years, and I know that Michael is very honored and very proud of them, uh, that everything that they've done, and I could not have asked for two better parents, and I love them very much. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren, and thanks so much for calling in. That is so thank wonderful. You. What a great tribute Heidi. to your parents. Yeah, yeah Heidi, thank you for doing all the all the um, sibling things that you do for us. I love it. And I can't wait to see you at another one. I'm honored to do it. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, thank Lauren, you. for calling in. Tell Carrie hi. I will. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, that is so great for you, too. Wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. And I don't think enough parents hear that from their kids, I'll tell you, as a, well. as a sibling. I don't think, I think sometimes we, we are a little hard, sometimes we can be kind of hard on our parents because we're going through our own stuff. And um, I think it's so great to remember that we're all suffering and we're all going through so much and everybody's had this horrific loss of, you know, a sibling or a child. Absolutely. The whole family's in pain, so. Well, Bud and Pat, before um, we finish the show, I wanted to ask you uh, if you had some advice for our folks out there, our newly bereaved people. Bud? Well, as uh, Pat said in the beginning of the show, we belong to a, um, a parent support group, and it's uh, all members of FDNY, people who have lost their sons on 9-11. And um, to be in that particular type of group with uh, everybody has, um, you know, that day in common, that helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it helps to uh, share stories. Uh, we feel um, uh, that we can laugh at that group and uh, not feel guilty from an outsider's point of view. You know, oh, they're laughing. They must be better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're never going to get better. You know, we are um, 180 degrees from the people we were before 9-11, so we're just trying to reinvent ourselves. Reinvent and, yourselves. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it's um, the, the people that, that you used to know, uh, a lot of them, don't understand that. There are uh, a select group of people that, you know, what we say, they get it. And um, it, it just, it, it helps us. And I would recommend to anybody uh, that is going through this to get some outside help. Get, you know, go to a support group, talk to other people in the similar circumstances. You and know. through compassionate friends, you can uh, find a support group. Uh, hopefully in your area, and uh, we have some wonderful national conferences and then a lot of uh, hospitals and uh, other uh, organizations are out there to support. You also, have, you also have to realize that a lot, you know, a lot of the friends that you've had before your tragedy, 
you're going to find, um, well, you've, you've thought of them as friends, but it, it, they weed themselves out. There's people that you just can't, you know, not that you're angry with them or whatever, but they just don't get where you're from. They don't mm-hmm. take the time to, and they could be lifelong friends. I've had right. friends, you know. Yeah. And, and you meet new friends. And you, yeah. Wonderful friends who are able to be there with you. Yeah. Yeah, to be there with you through it. And, and Bud said to me on the phone yesterday that uh, being in a group, you realize that everybody's on their own grief journey and everyone's on their own path, and there's not a right or wrong way to do it. Right. We're there's all no getting time. through it in oh, our own uh, way. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know, and I always get this wrong in how many steps of grief there are. But, um, you know, it's five, seven, whatever it is, but uh, people should realize that um, if, if they look at that and they say, oh, okay, I've conquered step one, now I'm going to go on to step two, you may start at step four, go back to step one, and go to step three, and, you know, it, it's a roller coaster ride of emotions. Right. Absolutely. Uh, our, grief, our grief comes in waves. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's time for us to close our show now, and I want to thank our guests, Patricia and Bud Kiefer. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to have you on the show, and I hope I'll get to meet you sometime. I yes, hope it was so. our pleasure. Thank, thank you, Pat, very Bud. Much. I appreciate it. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.